uh, Hebrews 13 in your Bible tonight. Hebrews 13. Tonight's sermon's title is Stop Having Devotions and Start Having Personal Worship. Stop having devotions and start having personal worship. I want to give you a couple of disclaimers uh, about this particular sermon tonight. Number one, um, if uh, you notice me almost reading or preaching from my notes quite a bit tonight, it's because I will be. Um, there's a lot of content in my notes that, that I really just want to get as clearly out as possible without uh, thinking I have to you know, trace, chase every rabbit or, or leave and awkwardly have to come back. So I, if you notice that and it weirds you out, just, just know the content that I'm, I'm reading or preaching from is, is I really want you to get it tonight. And the second disclaimer um, is this sermon's not original with me at all. Uh, it's a sermon I heard from a pastor back in Bible college and I would say, uh, I've probably listened to this sermon about 20 plus times, and it's had an extremely profound impact or influence, rather, on my own walk with the Lord and the way I go about my own personal worship time. And uh, so, so the outline even, you're going to see a three-point outline I credit him with, and much of the content, of course, I've got my own uh, a flair to it, but much of the content is from him, and uh, I don't feel bad about it at, at all. Um, I actually contacted him, uh, essentially because I'm going to plagiarize him tonight, and he, he told me I, I shouldn't do it, I shouldn't, I'm going I'm to do it anyways. Not really. He, he gave me the thumbs up, he's a gracious dude, and uh, he gave me the thumbs up and, and, and all that. So if you want to, after the service, you want to see how it's really preached, come to me and I'll, I'll give you the link. But, but man, this... This, this sermon, we, me and uh, Isabel DeVellin, we listened to this sermon on the way back from California trip. And uh, man, ever since I listened to that trip, it just kind of reshaped me and pulled me back into a form of personal worship that, that I hadn't really experienced in a long, long time. And I, I haven't quite got over it. It's been several weeks and it's still really fresh on my mind. So Hebrews 13, we're going to look at verse 10 and, and some more verses below that. And uh, but to start, I'm going to read this one verse. So if you don't uh, have a Bible, you see it on the screen there. Uh, you can look along. OK, Hebrews 13, 10 says this. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. I want to read it again. Would you read it with me? Ready, begin. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Father, help us tonight to see the importance of daily worship, communion, and personal time with you. Convict our hearts tonight. Help us to be encouraged by, by principles that we're going to find in your word and help us to be spurred on tonight to righteousness, to obedience, but above all, Lord, daily worship of you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This evening, I'm calling on you as a church body to give up your personal devotions in exchange for personal worship. I want you to stop doing your devotions and start having personal worship. Worship 
One definition is the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy character of God. Another definition, worship, is the reverential response of creation and to the all-encompassing magnificence of God. I say I want you to exchange personal devotions for personal worship. And, and let me tell you what I mean by that. In my experience, I have been told to do two things if I wanted to have a strong Christian life. Read your Bible and pray. Going to Bible college for three and a half years, I always heard some version of this repeated often. You're going through a trial? Read your Bible and pray. You're doubting your salvation? Read your Bible and pray. Are you struggling with a particular sin? Read your Bible and pray. These were the antidotes often given for fixing whatever it was that was wrong with you. Now, if you're reading in your Bible and praying, keep doing it. Don't stop doing that. But, but I want to I tell you tonight that there's a difference between reading your Bible and praying and personal worship. There is a difference. You've heard the song, read your Bible, pray every day. You didn't know I could sing. Read your, right? You want me up here, brother? Read your Bible and you'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible, forget to pray. Don't read your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll do what? Shrink, shrink, shrink. I take issue with that song. I got saved as a sophomore in high school in 2010. I got serious about wanting to follow Jesus in my life in 2014. And from 2014 to 2020, I, I read my Bible and I prayed. And I didn't grow, grow, grow. What's wrong with me? Is something wrong with me or my method? I still had the same thoughts I had before. I still got riled up about the same things I did before. It seemed like I was doing these things and not a whole lot in my life was changing. I wasn't growing. And one of the main problems I see in myself and in Christianity today at large is that far too often we are like the Christians of 1 Corinthians 3, who we should be at spiritual meat by now, but we are still drinking milk. What do I mean by that? I mean that in large part, Christianity as a whole, and I'm wrapping myself in that, we have a very shallow Christianity. Meaning this, there are hundreds of thousands of people who are genuine Christians, meaning they genuinely at one point placed their faith in Jesus, but they don't have a genuine walk with Christ. I would say as a church at large, 
One thing that fires me up about being here and about being with you people on a week in and week out basis is your extreme and, and fervent pursual of the lost. You work with people that are lost, you bring them to church. You work with, you, you have family members that are lost, you bring them to church. You have friends that are lost, you bring them to church. And here's what we see in Fellowship Baptist Church on almost a weekly basis. Salvations. Salvation of souls, people getting saved and baptized, added to the church, taking Fellowship 101 and Fellowship 201 and, and members uh, becoming a part of our church. But my concern is this church. As we grow outwardly, as our body gets bigger, we must make sure that we aren't neglecting our spirituality. We must, as a church, be growing just as deep, if not more so, as we are wide. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to take our personal walk with God seriously, here's what we have to do. We have to trade in our rushed, half asleep, got to move on to something else, got to get this out of the way, devotional time that we carry around like a rabbit's foot for genuine, authentic, personal worship. Amen. Tonight, I want to give you three principles that will help you grow in your personal worship. Number one, personal worship, or an altar, rather, that we saw in verse 13, calls for intimate fellowship. An altar calls for intimate Fellowship. The first thing we see in Hebrews 13 is that the author is writing to believers in Jesus. He says, we have an altar. You see, the book of Hebrews, it's, I believe, is written to a Jewish believers uh, who are in Christ in an attempt to persuade them, don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the way the Levitical system was set up. Don't go back. Why? Because Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the law. He's better than angels. He's better than uh, sacrifices in the temple. He's better, than, he's better than it all. Don't go back to the law. Jesus is better. So when the writer says we, he's including himself along with the reader. He's, he's, saying, he's saying this. Let's think of it this way. He's saying we're believers. We. I'm a believer. You're a believer. We're believers. We have an altar. So let's think of the we as believers. And here, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, that we includes you. Whenever you read, we have an altar, say this, I have an altar. If you're a believer in Jesus. The second thing we see is that these Christians have an altar. What's, what's an altar? Well, we probably first thing we think of is this, right? An altar. We have our altar call. We're going to have an altar call at the end of the service. That's not what he's talking about. An altar is a place for slaughter. I heard Dwayne talking about later, they're going to slaughter a buffalo, right? A buffalo tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. A buffalo. And if you're not for that, and you're, I'm sorry if I offended you. Okay, I'll move on. An altar is a place for slaughter. An altar is a place, get this, where religious observances are carried out and sacrifices to deity are made. That's an altar. Noah had an altar. Noah had an altar. In Genesis 8, when Noah and his family stepped off the ark, what did Noah do? He immediately built an altar and made sacrifice to God, and God smelled it as a sweet aroma. It was pleasing to him. Genesis 12, Abraham had an altar. 
It was at that altar that Abraham called on the name of the Lord. It was the place where Abraham built up and there he met with God. In Genesis 26, Isaac built an altar. And he also called on the name of the Lord. In Genesis 35, Jacob built an altar and he called it El Bethel because it was the place God appeared to him. Exodus 17, I literally just read it this morning. Moses built an altar and called it Jehovah Nissi. Remember that story? Where Aaron and I think her are holding up the hands of Moses while they're fighting the Amalekites, I believe. Am I wrong? They're fighting the Amalekites. They're holding them up. And so after that victory, Moses builds up an altar and he calls it Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. In Judges 6, Gideon built an altar and called it Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. At the end of 2 Samuel, David built an altar. It says there, and David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. What do we see at these altars? We see men of God meeting with God and making sacrifices to God. Whenever men of God were going to meet with God, to sacrifice to God, this is what he did. He built an altar and there met the Lord. So, what does it mean that we have an altar? The author of Hebrews isn't talking about something you build in your backyard where you go and sacrifice goats to God. It's not what he's talking about. He isn't talking about a, an altar at church that we use for an altar call. That's, that's not what he's talking about. No, friend, a Christian has a special altar. Our altar is Christ. It is Christ who our sacrifice is our sacrifice. Look at verse 10 again. We have an altar. Whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin and burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Listen, church, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We have an altar. His name is Jesus. You see tonight, church, we're not Old Testament saints or Old Testament priests, rather, coming to the altar for our sustenance. We're not coming to the altar for our meal. No, we are New Testament priests of God that have an opportunity to come daily to the altar that is called Christ and derive our spiritual sustenance from Him. We have an altar. Do you get that? You have an altar. You have Christ. You can come to that altar and feast on him every single day. I said we can come to him every day. But I'm not talking about what we do on a typical day. I'm not talking about reading our three chapters with glossed over eyes. I'm not talking about barely making it through one of Paul chapters, devotional chapters. I'm not talking about throwing up some save me, get me out of this, help me prayers every once in a while. I'm talking about showing up at an altar in your life and meeting Christ there. Have you done that? Have you met him at an altar? 
The second thing we see about this altar is that it's exclusive. Verse 10 says, we have an altar where they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. So someone's excluded here. What he means by that is these Old Testament priests or these current priests of that day who were still serving the Levitical system, they had no right to eat at this altar. You see, they were still trusting in something else. They were still offering to someone else. They were still sacrificing goats and sheep and, and, and bulls and they were still doing all that. They said, Paul says this or, or whoever the author says this, they have no right to eat here. They're excluded from this altar. Only we can eat here. You know what that's telling you, church? Whereas people who are unbelievers of, of Jesus Christ are excluded from this altar, guess what? You're included. You're part of the exclusive group that has this altar called Jesus. It's personal. You don't just meet with God at church. You don't just meet with God at spiritual events. You meet with God in the closet, in the quiet place where it's personal to you. That invitation is there. But here's our problem. Please listen here, please. Our problem was we are too pressed for time to enjoy him at the altar. We don't slow down to get to know him. We don't take time to gaze at him in his word and marvel at how wonderful he is. Remember, worship is an awe-filled response. When I went to California with the, the basketball team a few weeks ago, I'd never seen an ocean before. Never. Never seen a beach, never seen an ocean. Not one time we get there and it's uh, like five o'clock there and, and we're supposed to go eat dinner with Brother Kay and the rest of the group. But I'm like, I've got to see an ocean. Brother Kay's like, it's 45 minutes away and it's getting dark. And I said, I've got my foot on the pedal to the middle, Brother Kay. I'm going to make it. We find a parking spot. We park on this hill in San Diego and we, we park on this hill and, and it just jars us all forward because, you know, we're on this slope. But I'm like, we got to go. We got to get out and we got to go see the ocean. I get out and I walk to the ocean for the first time. Oh, my word. Are you kidding me? The sun's going down. There's a naval ship several miles out. The roar of the waves are crashing you know what I didn't do? All right, let's go. No. We stayed there until it got pitch black. Why? Not, not to, you know, kick water around and to draw hearts in the sand with mine and Taryn's name. In it. No. We just stared. Now, now, the girls played. They did the thing. But I'm just like, oh, my word. They're not, they're not worshipers, so they don't. But I'm just like, oh, my word. Now, I wasn't worshiping the ocean. I was worshiping the God of the ocean. It was amazing to me that, that where I stood, the waves, would, they would just stop. I couldn't give God the glory he deserves by just looking at the ocean, turning around and walking away. I had to stay there for about an hour. I had to gaze at it. I had to think about it. I had to marvel at it. But we hurry through our devotions in order to get whatever it is that the day calls for. Here we have the perfect Lamb of God crying out this in Matthew 11. I just preached it. He's saying, come to me. Come know me. 
Come learn of me. Come fellowship with me. Come sit with me for a while. Come spend some time with me. Come have a personal relationship with me. That's what I'm inviting you to. I'm not inviting you to rules and commands and do this and do that. I'm come inviting you to come and know me. That's what he's calling on us for. That's what our altar is for. That's the offer. And yet, how often do we give him the leftovers of our time? I'll do my devotions if I don't have to be at work at a certain time. I'll do them if I, if I get up early enough. I miss them today, I'll get them in tomorrow. No, friend. It's more than doing devotions. It's about meeting with God. It's not about let me do this so I can get to that. No, it's let me do what doesn't matter and get to what really does matter in meeting with my Lord and Savior, Jesus. You'll know when you're enjoying personal worship, whenever it isn't about getting through your chapter or checking off your Bible reading list or praying through your prayer list, but when like David in Psalm 67, you're crying out this, oh God. 63, I believe, Psalm 63. He says, oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. God, I, he says, I want, I'm going to paraphrase. God, I just want to see you. God, I just want to know you. I'm here. There's no water. There's no food. But I don't care about that. I don't want my next meal. I just want you. I want to see you. I want to taste you, God. When you're there, you'll know you're worshiping. Whenever it's not, can I get this verse to post on Facebook? Not can I get this verse to post on Instagram? No, not to get this verse to share with the friend. Not to get a verse just to highlight. None of that. No, but to see and taste and experience the goodness of God in your personal worship time. Can I give you a paradigm shift that I think will help you? This is just a small thing. A paradigm shift is this. When you show up at the altar to meet with Christ, when you crack open the book, don't just merely interact with the words, interact with the author of the words. Interact with the author of the words. So, so personal worship, it calls for this intimate fellowship. Secondly, personal worship calls for this immense sacrifice. And we are going to blaze through this personal worship, an altar rather calls for immense sacrifice. So we've already seen why an altar, uh, that when an altar is built, sacrifices are made. Okay, we're not going to an altar to sacrifice to God in a physical sense. We, we aren't taking sheep and goats. We're going to sacrifice uh, at our altar who is Christ for personal worship, uh, which intimate fellowship, we just looked at that. But then when we get to the altar, we meet with God. We have to put in immense sacrifice. What do you mean by that? Look back down at verse 15. It says this, by him, that is Christ, Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You see, the Levitical uh, structure set up a number of sacrifices to represent a number of things. And while we don't do these things in particular, we do offer sacrifices to our Savior as New Testament priests. What do I mean by that? Number one, uh, the, it, you can go look at the end of Leviticus 7 and you'll see this list. Number one is the sin offering. 
The sin offering. What's the sin offering? The sin offering was a mandatory atonement for sin. Okay, you can't worship God until you have received his mandatory atonement for sin in the blood of Jesus. That's first and foremost. You cannot worship Jesus until you have met Jesus. Number two, the trespass offering. This offering cleansed from defilement and made restitution. It was a place where things were made right. You did something wrong, you would make up the difference. You hurt someone's animal, you replaced the animal and made a sacrifice. That means, this is what that means, church. That means getting to an altar with Christ and seeing if there's anything that isn't right with you and him. That means getting to an altar and saying, Lord, is there anything that's not right between me and my kids or me and my spouse or me and someone at church or me and someone at work or one of my friends? Lord, is there anything not right? Here's what the trespassing offering is. It's a place where you make confession. It's a place for repentance. It's, for, it's a place where, where things get right between you and God and you and others. Number three, the burnt offering. The burnt offering was an expression of commitment and surrender. It's a place of consecration. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. So we present ourselves to God at the altar and say, God, I'm yours. Use me for whatever it is you want to use me for. When's the last time, church, you surrender to Christ? Was it out of revival? Teenagers, was it out of a youth camp or a youth conference? Hey, I just want to know, when's the last time you laid your life down on the altar and said, God, I'm yours? Do you put your weeks before him? Do you put your days before him? Do you put church services before him? That God, I'm going to go to this church service and I'm going I'm to worship you. I'm going to praise you. God, use me for however you want to use me at this church service. It's a burnt offering. It's consecration. Then there was the meat offering. The meat offering was a place for praise. It was a place to tell God, thank you. I'm grateful for who you are. When was the last time that we just pulled back from our Bible reading and said, I'm not going to read any further. God, I'm just going to get on my face and thank you for who you are. God, I'm going to thank you for, for saving me, for giving me a home, for giving me a family. God, I just, I just want to, I'm not going to ask you for nothing. I'm just going to thank you, God, for all that you've done. That's, that's the meat offering. Then there was the peace offering. There's a place for supplication. It's a place to, to pour out your request to God. It's a place for worship. It's a, a place for thanksgiving. Let me ask you tonight, church, do your devotions look like this? Do your devotions look like this? Where you don't just show up to the Bible and you don't just show up to, to God on, on your typical morning and you show up to get something from God. Do you show up and give something to God? You'll know you're at an altar and you'll know you're worshiping when you don't just show up to give, but you show up to give. That's worship. Personal worship is a place for intimate fellowship, immense sacrifice, and then lastly, personal worship or an altar calls for intense transformation. Our worship time should be changing us, church. There should be something different when we meet with God, church. When we get saved, we aren't just saved from an eternity 
in hell. No, we're saved for the intent that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, are you being conformed? I'm not saying you're going to be perfect overnight. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But my question is, is your personal worship time changing you? You see, you can't meet with God and not be changed. Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees God for who he is and, and what happens. Changed. He's changed. Moses meets with God on the mountaintop. He's so changed that the people, hey, he has to veil his face. They can't even look at him. When's the last time, church, that we came out of a time or a season of devotions and our spouse said, honey, you look different. Or five o'clock uh, p.m. When, when typically you're groggy and you're just ready to, to veg out for the day. When's the last time you said, honey, what's, what's going on? You're, you're different today. Hey, our personal worship time isn't just to spend time with Jesus. It's not just a sacrifice to Jesus. It's to be changed by Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, we'll finish here. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says this. But we all, we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. He says, we with open face. What does that mean? Unveiled face. What does that mean? I think this is what that means. Obviously, the context uh, lets us in on that a little bit. But, but, but here's my observation. Church, we live in a masked society. You know what I mean by that? We all live to put on a front, to put on a show, to try to cover up who we really are. And whenever you approach the altar, whenever you approach God's glory, God exposes that. So when you show up at an altar, don't show up trying to hold things from God or keep things from God or hide things from God. Show up saying, God, you know everything about me. Expose me for who I am and let me see your glory. We all with open face, if you want personal worship, you have to pull back the mask. Beholding is in a glass, the glory of the Lord. I love this verse. Church, we have to stop reading the Bible for nuggets of truth. We have to stop reading the Bible for, for things to get us through the day. We have to stop reading the Bible for verses to highlight or verses to, to underline or verses to take notes on. If you do that, that's great. I do that personally. I'm all for that. But that's not why we should approach the Bible. We should approach the Bible to, number one, see His glory. See His glory. See Him for who He really is. We all with open face beholding as in a glass. The glory of the Lord. So we're, so we're looking. And by the way, if you want to see God's glory, this is where you look. You can see it in an ocean. You can see it on a mountaintop. I'm all for those type of things. But if you want to see who God is and who he reveals himself to be, you're not going to find it anywhere else but here. This is the mind of God here. 
So as we, with an open face, behold, as in the glory, or we look, uh, uh, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, as we're staring at God's glory, here's what happens. We're changed into the same image. From glory to glory. Here's what I mean by that. When you see him for who he is, and you see yourself for who you are, and you acknowledge that, and you stare at that glory long enough, here's what's going to happen. You're going to change from glory to glory. What does glory to glory mean? Is that, are we talking second, third heavens here? Is that what we're talking? I don't think so. I think that as we stare at God's glory, we stare at Christ's glory. I think here's what happens. He changes us bit by bit. Listen, you see him for who he is. You see the glory of God in the Bible. You see you as you are. And when you do surrender to who he is, what happens? He builds more glory in. Maybe you weren't loving like you should be and then you saw him for who he is in his word, and now you are. Glory. Maybe you were easily angered, and then you saw how slow to anger Christ was, and you changed because you surrendered to his image, his glory. Glory. Maybe you had a problem with lust, and you saw how pure God is, and and through his spirit, Christ overcame those lustful thoughts in your life because you saw him for who he is. And you adored him and you saw his glory. And that, over, and that glory through his spirit, as the verse says, uh, even as by the spirit of the Lord, overcame you and got that out of you. I'm talking about daily transformation. Daily getting us over our sin. Isn't this how it works? About the time you have one thing uh, fixed, there's something else to work on, right, in your spiritual life? Here's the question. Where are you right now? Between what glory and what glory are you in between? Here's what I'm asking. What was your last spiritual victory? What was the last time? When was the last time that you saw Jesus for who he was? You saw his glory in his word and you were molded into that image that you saw. When's the last time? What can you point to tonight, church, and say, this is what I was doing. This was what I was thinking. This is how I was acting. And then I met Jesus in his word. I saw him for who he was. I surrendered to him and he changed me through his spirit. What was your last victory? Glory to glory. Only by his spirit. I did something yesterday and I'm I'm almost done. I texted the pastoral staff wives. And I said, uh, I said, what's the biggest thing Christ has done in your, your husband's uh, Christ-likeness? How is Christ working him? I'm going I'm to read some of the, I'm going to read all four of the responses. I'm not going to say who's is who, okay? My husband has grown in Christ-likeness since we've been married in this, patience. Not that he was overly impatient before, but it's definitely changed over the years in the way he listens to people and me. Guy sounds like a jerk. Um, It's more of a loving patience and born of a true desire to listen and help me or others if he can. 
I feel like it used to stem mostly from he just knew that that was part of his job and something he had to do. But now the heart of it really is to love who he's with and giving his time to. One wife said this, he's much slower to anger and patient now than, we, than when we were when we first got married. He's quicker to acknowledge and apologize when he is wrong and more often to defer to others. He rarely allows others' attitudes and moods to dictate how he is. One said this, it's just temperament. God's worked on him to be slow to anger and not let small things get to him. One wife said this, it's his concern for people. When we were first married, myself and others were people to be managed. As long as people went with what he wanted, he was good and he wasn't concerned with those people as people. Now, he is more concerned with the hearts of people. He cares more about the person than what that person does. He cares for the soul. He is less selfish and less me-focused. Church, what is that? It's glory. It's glory. Now, we as staff, men, we're... You come watch me play, uh, coach basketball once, you'll see I ain't perfect. That's one of God's main sanctified tools in my life. I promise you I ain't perfect. But I asked our wives because... They're quick to tell the truth. I'm not by any means raising us up. I could have texted many of the wives in this place and they could have told me the same thing. My point in sharing what these wives sent was this. As you worship your Lord, change ought to be taking place. Hey, church, what was your last spiritual victory? You'll know. When you're having personal worship time and not just devotions, whenever you are noticeably changing into the image of Jesus from glory to glory to glory. So an altar calls for intimate fellowship, immense sacrifice, and intense transformation. Church, I'm calling you tonight to stop having devotions and start having personal worship. And here's how you can start. You can start tonight by coming to an altar and admitting that you have been going through the motions. I'm not saying everyone does that, so I, I, I'm not condemning anyone here. But if that's you, check off the Christian boxes and not really worship. If that's you, I, I would, I'd persuade you, come, come talk to the Lord about that. And say, God, I, I, am, I, am, I am done with rabbit foot Christianity. I'm going to worship you. In the morning or even before you go to bed, uh, get into his word. Not to see a cool verse, but to see the glory of God. To see him as he is revealed in his word and commune with him. Sacrifice to him and be transformed by him. And you don't do this for a day. You don't. You don't commit to this just for a night. You commit to it for life. Our God is worthy of worship. I'm doing right, one right now, so I, I, can, I can speak to myself a little bit. Our God is worth more than a Bible reading plan. I'm doing right, our teens are doing one right. I get that. But he's worth more. Here's what our God deserves. 
He deserves us to see, for us to look at him for who he is. Be in awe of who he is. And when we see him for who he is and when we are in awe of who he is, here's what we're going to do. We are going to respond to who he is in worship. Would you stand with me?